It is very good afternoon. It is Niall Boylan now. A little bit earlier on in the show, we had a good old Barney and everybody was on giving out about housing and people talking about prior- prioritising Irish people for housing and also some people suggesting prioritising those who want to pay for a house uh, for housing. But the problem we have at the moment is there isn't enough houses to actually buy if you're a private buyer. And what drew my attention to this the other night was Eric Nelligan from Aintu. And Eric had put up a tweet basically saying 57% of new homes in Limerick last year were bought by non-household entities, state agencies, essentially. And Eric joins me on the show. Good afternoon to you, Eric. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me on, Neil. You're welcome. Now, maybe you could explain this to me better, obviously from a Limerick point of view, but I did say to you this is pretty much replicated across the country. So we have large new housing developments being bought up by state agencies and trusts, I assume, and NGOs, including the Department of Social Protection as well, which obviously will give out 20% of affordable and social housing. So what you're suggesting is it's leaving nothing for the first-time buyer or the private buyer, or it's pushing the prices beyond their reach. Is that really what's happening? That, that is exactly it in a nutshell. So what we saw in Limerick, as you mentioned in your, in your introduction, is that last year, um, 57% of houses in Limerick City area were bought by non-household entities. Now, what that means is non-household entities are either investment funds. Now, investment funds don't operate in, in Limerick, but they do operate in Dublin, for instance. Yeah. Or in the case of Limerick, it's... Um, approved house approved approved agencies that um, basically NGOs that buy houses on behalf of different people or characteristics or different agencies so that's what we're looking at and and it, it's leaving a massive shortage for private for private purchasers and, and what 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 percentage what percentage are you looking at you know i mean i know we have 20% of house uh, of houses being built are affordable and uh, social housing what percentage do you think are being bought up by these agencies or by state agencies or by ngos well uh in limerick last year it was 57% wow and of that yeah 57% of all houses in the city and for your listeners that might not be aware of limerick limerick is broken up into three kind of three areas for development and one of the areas the north side of the city uh christian melody involved in the property uh well-known involved in property in ireland and in limerick he stated that there were zero houses available for a private purchaser in one part in the north side of limerick last year so that's absolutely that's that's, that's scandalous that is well, i i responded to your tweet the other night and the reason i responded was I, I saw two problems with that one is that you've put private houses out of the reach of private buyers both you know from a yeah. price point point of view and also an availability point of view but the other big problem you have with this is that if you if you're making all housing available for uh, you know uh, housing which is subsidized by the state or social housing well then you're putting the same class of people and I don't mean to mean that this is a class issue but what you're doing is we're going back to Ballymun to the 1970s in Dublin where you're basically creating I, I believe you can ghettoize an area very quickly um, by not having what they call social cohesion well, we, we've been told for for decades now that the best mix for a housing estate or housing development is having a broad mix of people that live there. So mm-hmm. yeah. renters, homeowners, uh, people that need social housing, people that need affordable housing, cost rental, uh, elderly families. They, like the, the road I live on has a mix of everything yeah. and it works well. And we've been told that and people have bought into that. I, we would not be talking here now if we didn't find out through good work by the local radio station, Live 95 FM and the reporter, that 
close to 60% of the properties have been pre-purchased. And one of the key points which you mentioned in the introduction is that this is actually pushing up the price of houses. And I've had people, since I posted my tweet on Sunday evening, uh, I've had people contact me uh, and they explained how it works. So basically, the builder of this, the builder now gets an extra 20% um, oh, sorry, an extra 20000 on top of the price of the house by selling it to an approved an approved housing uh, body. And they also don't have to go through estate. The, the estate agents don't have to get their fees. So builders... So it's a win-win It's a win -win for the builders and developers, win -win. isn't it? Yeah. It's a win-win for the builders and developers, but it's now pushing up the house. So if people are looking, say, oh, that house over there sold for 250000 now any new house that comes on the market for private buyers that's, that's now the new level, if that makes sense. So the level is now being increased all the time. And we, we look, we, we've spoken about how, how unaffordable or how challenging it is for people to get a mortgage to pay for the price of houses. And that's then pushing more and more people into the affordable housing market or the affordable housing system, which means taxpayers are paying more. So it's, it's a snowballing effect. I mean, I, I did have a couple on a while ago uh, and they spoke to me and, and uh, whether she was talking about their daughter and son uh, who had got married or son-in-law who had got married and they'd been saving and they had their deposit of 40,000 or whatever it was. And they fancied these new houses that were being built in the Kulak area in Dublin. And they went down to have a look at them. They were gorgeous houses, but it seems none were available. And it turned out there was, a, I think there was a group of 20 houses, but all 20 houses were bought up by agencies or uh, were given out by the Department of Social Protection. And she said it's so disheartening because they really wanted to live there. They really loved these houses. They were willing to pay the 400000 or whatever it was for the house. Um, but it, it just wasn't going to be available to them. And instead, I suppose that there is begrudgery in a sense. And this causes division in society because they're going, well, hold on. They're giving it away to people who are not going to be paying for it or paying a subsidized rent, uh, the Department of Social Protection, uh, for this particular house. And that divides people then. Or you have people giving out or they're giving it to the foreigners. We had one girl on earlier on talking to us on the podcast, 12 beautiful houses in Ennis. 11 of them uh, were for people who were non-Irish and only one of them was an Irish family. And she was given out that people weren't being prioritised properly or she felt people were prioritised. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not the fault of the person who comes to Ireland or the immigrant or whatever it happens to be. It's the fault of government policy, which in turn then divides people. We are being, because of the housing shortage, people are so desperate to find not only a house to live in, but some people are desperate to find rented accommodation. I'm sh like today we're hearing about all these students that are looking to go back to university and they can't mm -hmm. find anywhere to stay. We, I've read stories of people who find it cheaper, of young people who find it cheaper to go to college abroad than to try and find accommodation in, in Galway or Dublin or Cork or one of the main cities. So we are seeing people are fighting against each other and it's leading to, so as you mentioned there, we have some people talking about the foreigners. We have some people talking about those in social housing. We have people talking about, oh, the, the well-off are buying up housing for their own mm -hmm. families and not, and not. So we're all being pitted against each other. And it's leading, unfortunately, it's leading to, to, to divisions that shouldn't be there. And it's all down to lack of housing, poor planning. Now, you may remember, how many years ago was it where the Irish, the Irish state was the largest landlord in the world during yeah, the well, recession time? And I mentioned this we, earlier we on, the, Sean, Sean yeah. Lamass was, of course, the first man to bring in social housing, or Dublin Corporation, as it originally started off as. And then they sold off the housing stock because they couldn't afford to maintain it. So they sold it off at ridiculously low prices. Uh, because I know, because my father and mother, I was born in uh, social housing and council housing, and they eventually bought the house from the state in the, the mid-80s. They sold them all off for ridiculously low prices. Yeah. So then 
now all private houses instead of being social houses, which they should still be social houses and still be used for social housing. But the thing about it is we're not going to get away from this problem because we already had a housing crisis going back a year ago. We've just increased the population by roughly 100,000 people in the last year who all need somewhere to live. So the problem is just being amplified even more. And that's why people have this perception that it's the foreigners that are getting the houses first. It's not. It's just that they happen to be the majority of homeless at the moment in, in Ireland. When we look at, say, the Fingal housing list or you look at the South Dublin uh, County Council housing list, and I'm sure the same is the same goes in Limerick and, and other places around the country too. Right. Uh, because you've got this, I suppose, imbalance in society where you've a lot of people who come into the country and need somewhere to live. And on top of that, you've already got a problem that we had existing already with the Irish housing crisis. So the, is the answer not that we need to stop without sounding racist? Well, obviously, we need to help as many people as we possibly can in those genuine cases. But we need to stop until we get things right. We need to stop allowing people to flow into the country who need housing. Well, I, look, the AN2 perspective on this is we shouldn't, anyone who arrives into the country without proper documentation, they shouldn't be allowed in. You you need to be, like, AN2 would support the, the right of, or the, 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 us offering, the country offering assistance to people who are genuine refugees. That's, mm, like, no, no one should be argument with that. But what we need to separate is, we need to separate migrants, migrant, economic migrants from genuine refugees, and then people that arrive without proper documentation into the airports, they, we shouldn't be accepting those people. Those people need to be But that's illegal. Back. It's illegal yeah, in the first place. Away. Yeah. Exactly. We, we need to follow the law. And the law also says that once someone goes through the uh, application process, and if they're successful, that's fair enough. But if they are not successful, if they're unsuccessful, then we need to start implementing the the deportation orders. And that that has been shown not to be happening either. Um, I, I think it was Leo Varadkar that, that, that said maybe about a month ago that that the, there are no records kept when someone fails or they don't follow it up. Fails or no, they don't follow up. So you hope they leave, but if they don't, well, well, here's don't here's here's the phrase: they invite people to leave. In other words, they turn around and say, "I'm sorry, you failed your application. Um, you know, you don't qualify under the refugee status or asylum status, so you must leave the state." But they don't follow it up. So they ask them to leave. They don't actually put them on a plane and send them home again. Because, of course, you know, the, the Liberal people will go mad. Uh, but here's the other thing. Leaving all that aside, we still had a housing crisis anyway. So you've got Sinn Féin promising to build 120,000 houses in five years or whatever it is. Some ridiculous amount of houses. And you've got all the government parties coming up to an election now promising to build houses. But you've got nobody to build these actual houses. So... What are we going to do? Because the population is increasing. The demand for the housing is getting bigger. The average wage has stayed the same while inflation has gone up and the cost of houses have gone up. So people, our houses are becoming less affordable for the average person. So this problem is going to continue and we, we don't have the ability to build housing. So what's the solution? Well, you forgot in your, in your piece, in your little spiel there, you forgot to mention the Labour Party who promised one million houses. Oh, that, million <laughs> well, you houses, might as well promise I, five million as promise one million. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, look. Why stop at one million? <laughs> yeah. Look, that was a Vanabachic. That's right. She said a million houses at the at the, at the RDS. Yeah. She said a million houses. Yeah. Why not? Absolutely crazy talk. But look, let's be mm. honest. And I'm, I'm sorry now, I'm going to be another, I'm going to fire more bad news at you. We, we found out recently, into I put out a press release on it, that the average age of someone working as a tradesman is uh, 45 years old. Wow. So a lot of those people have probably been working for the bones of 30 years, definitely 25 and possibly 30 years, depending yep. when they would have started their apprenticeship. So a lot of those, a lot of those people, mainly men and some women, obviously, are coming towards the end of their 
their working Oof. life. Yep. We have very low we have very low numbers, and in fact, during COVID, unfortunately, we stopped we we, we stopped uh, apprenticeships during COVID. We have an education system that doesn't incentivize uh, we don't that doesn't incentivize young people going into trades because school league tables mean that many schools want to be seen high up the table with tables. You only get high up the tables if you're if you if you enter yeah. uh, third level education. So, so it's not. It's not, yeah, it's so not, nobody not nobody wants to be a, nobody wants to be a plumber or a plaster or a bricklayer. Everybody wants to be you know a graphic designer or an architect or an accountant or something that involves sitting behind a desk with a computer in front of you. So well, that's really where we're pushing people towards young people towards. So so those people, as you rightly said, the same somebody mentioned the other day to me that truck drivers are getting older. Um, in other words, the average age of a truck driver used to be something like thirty five. Now it's forty seven or something like that because nobody there's nobody new coming into the business. These are all big problems. Yeah that we have to face going forward. And this then comes back to the fact then that we, we, we are, we are well-educated people, but we, we still need people to do the jobs that don't require education. So like you mentioned, you mentioned the truck driver there, you mentioned people maybe collecting the bins or working in trades. So then on, then what, what do we see at the moment? If, if someone delivers food to your house, it's probably uh, an immigrant. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's probably someone that's come here on the student visa. So we need then the immigrants to come in to do the jobs that a lot of Irish people have, are overqualified for or see themselves as overqualified for. So it's a vicious it's a vicious cycle. But ultimately it's all down to housing. So what we need to what we need to do is we we need to get we need to allow everybody the chance to purchase a house. And to come back to the tweet that started all this conversation is if if close to 60% of the houses in a city are being taken away from the core to people that work. So you're talking about the working people here. So whether you're whether you're a low-level employee, whether you're a mid-level employee, you you need to get a starter home, and these starter homes aren't there. And we've all we've all spoken about how during the Celtic Tiger, people bought a starter home, and then they might have moved on to a slightly bigger home and sold it up and kept the market moving. And that's not even there now. So there's a whole group of people that are living at home. We saw how what was the closest seventy percent, and it was definitely in the 60s of young people, uh, people aged 25 and 29, that were living at home with their parents. Can you imagine that? I would have been like when I was that age twenty years ago. I was uh, I was out. I, I I was in college. I had done my college. I got a job. I was living in my own life away from my parents, and my parents had a chance then to do what they wanted to do in their retirement. But that's not there now. So it's a vicious, vicious cycle, um, and it's literally that we need to build, build, build. We need to get rid of red tape. We need to we we need to allow people um, the chance to buy a house. Out. I know I know the Greens don't want us building in the countryside. But if that's where the land is, if that's where people are from, we should be allowing people build in the countryside in a manner that's that works with the environment. That you know that that we can get uh, group schemes for water, that we can get group sewerage schemes, all that type of stuff. And that's all being stopped now. So we're pushing people to the cities, but the housing mm-hmm. need in the city has moved towards. Uh, it's been I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree. With, I, I don't disagree with anything you said today. And and by the way, on that note, somebody mentioned earlier on. They were singing the praises of Aintu and Pater Tobin, of course, and uh, they were talking about the next election and voting for Aintu. And I said, the only problem Aintu are going to have is not enough candidates. Are, are Aintu, by the way, planning on increasing the amount of candidates they have across the country? Well, Pater has said categorically that we will have a candidate in every in every general election constituency in probably in a year and a half. We've said that. So mm. we are at the process at the moment of selecting our local candidates. So anyone that follows us on Twitter, into ie.ie follow us on twitter or at ie i should say follow us on twitter and every couple of days we are announcing our local election candidates so we're, we're close to about 30 announced now and we're going to keep going and um, so we're looking for people suitable people like we're, we're not just going to put someone forward as a paper candidate in a local election we want people who go out 
who want to be there, who want to represent the local people in their community, who want to do something good. That's why I got into politics. I had no major interest in politics. No, I oh, sorry, I always liked politics, but being a politician wasn't a dream for me. And then I saw how, how things were going. I, I felt there was no one out there to represent the values I held. For me, all the main legacy parties, they're, they're one and the same. There's hardly... There's hardly a difference between Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, Labour, no. Social Democrats, Sinn Féin. Like we had the Irish Times even said it only only this weekend that Sinn Féin are more or less they're abandoning all their old principles. So while Sinn Féin, some people see Sinn Féin as a voice of change, they are not. The, in my opinion, sorry. No, they're, they're all. The as I said change. earlier on, they're, they're all they're, they're all cheeks they're of the, the same voice, arse. They're the voices of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, but they're just getting there. So look. People will like what AIM2 say. Some people won't. That's fine. We need to have options in the electoral system. And AIM2 are offering a viable option. So I really hope we have candidates in as many constituencies as we have. I hope so. I hope so too, because I, I do I do believe you'll election. do well if you uh, do have candidates. But, but look, getting back to housing, couldn't agree with you more. I think it's quite shocking that there isn't enough housing for private buyers or young couples, of course, you know, who are venturing out into this world with their starter home. There's nothing for them to buy out there because, unfortunately, the housing agencies are buying up all these houses, which in turn are pushing up the prices because the developers, of course, if I was a developer, I'd be quite happy to get the extra 20 grand yeah. and avoid having to go through estate agents and everything else that the state is going to buy the house off me. So why not? Much easier for them. But So we need regulations in to stop that from happening, that there must be. I mean, we talked years ago about making available houses for social housing so we brought in implemented plans that there must be 20% affordable in social housing and now we're in the opposite problem so I think we need regulations to say there must be at least 60% of houses available for private buyers Well there is there, there are measures out there the Fianna Fáil uh, Minister O'Brien brought out measures two years ago that, that were designed to stop investment funds over purchasing in an estate and there was a review carried out last year by, I can't remember the name of the law firm, but there was a review carried out last year that basically said the, the measures had worked, but there was loopholes and approved housing bodies don't fall in to this. So approved right. housing bodies have the right in, like that estate in Castle Troy, where there was 222 houses. They bought every single house. 222 houses gone to an approved housing body out of a whole estate and other estates with 40% gone. And so the loophole is there. So now how about... How about we allow approved housing bodies at the same levels of social housing? We set it at 20%. And that way then it creates a balance in the estate. You'll have families there. You'll have renters there. You'll have social housing and affordable housing. You'll have a broad spectrum of society. And I know, look, I'm a secondary school teacher here by trade. And in the, class, in the school I teach, we have, we have people from all demographics. We have people that come to us. We have parents that drive into school in a bangers. And we have parents that drive in in Jaguar. We have kids mm. from every nationality and no nationality. We have all religions and we have all religions and none. So we, it, it's a good mix in the school. And yeah. that's what we should have in our housing estate. Couldn't agree with you more. mixes in our housing estate. And if we can move the approved, approved housing bodies into the same category for these measures that were brought out, well, then that will allow estates to have a, a much even mix. And this goes back to your very first point. We need to be careful that ghettos aren't created. And that's not to say that people that come from a housing estate that there's anything wrong, but but it, 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 we know from places like Ballymun or Myros or uh, Knocknahini and Cork, areas like that have social problems. And it may stem from the fact that there's not a balance of different households in there. Well, listen, I appreciate you coming on the air to talk about it today. I think it's very interesting. If people want to follow you, of course, they can. Eric Nelligan on Twitter. Uh, he's a member of AIN2. And if people want to follow AIN2, of course, you can follow AIN2 on Twitter as well, or you can follow them anywhere you want. And uh, obviously, he wants you to vote for them in the next election as well. Listen, thank you very much indeed, Eric, and thank you for drawing attention to it for me. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Podcast. 
Listen live on Facebook, YouTube, and all the usual live stream services. To get in touch, just WhatsApp or text 085-100-2255. The Nile Boylan Podcast. They told me to shut up. Available for download from all your usual platforms.